Chapter One, Section One of Capital, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Capital, Volume One by Karl Marx. Chapter One, Section One. The two factors of a commodity: use value and value, the substance of value and the magnitude of value. The wealth of those societies in which the capitalist mode of production prevails presents itself as quote, an immense accumulation of commodities. End quote. Footnote: Karl Marx, Zur Kritik der Politischen Ökonomie, Berlin, 1859, page 3. End footnote. Its unit being a single commodity, our investigation must therefore begin with the analysis of a commodity. A commodity is, in the first place, an object outside us, a thing that by its properties satisfies human wants of some sort or another. The nature of such wants, whether, for instance, they spring from the stomach or from fancy, makes no difference. Footnote. Quote, Desire implies want. It is the appetite of the mind, and as natural as hunger to the body. The greatest number of things have their value from supplying the wants of the mind. End quote. Nicholas Barbon, a discourse concerning coining the new money lighter in answer to Mr. Locke's considerations, etc., London, 1696. End footnote. Neither are we here concerned to know how the object satisfies these wants, whether directly as means of subsistence or indirectly as means of production. Every useful thing, as iron, paper, etc., may be looked at from the two points of view of quality and quantity. It is an assemblage of many properties and may therefore be of use in various ways. To discover the various uses of things is the work of history. Footnote. Quote, things have an intrinsic value. End quote. This is Barbon's special term for value in use. Quote, which in all places have the same virtue, as the lodestone to attract iron. End quote. The property which the magnet possesses of attracting iron became of use only after by means of that property the polarity of the magnet had been discovered. End footnote. So also is the establishment of socially recognised standards of measure for the quantities of these useful objects. The diversity of these measures has its origin partly in the diverse nature of the objects to be measured, partly in convention. The utility of a thing makes it a use value. Footnote. Quote, the natural worth of anything consists in its fitness to supply the necessities or serve the conveniences of human life. End quote. John Locke. Some considerations on the consequences of the lowering of interest. 1691. In English writers of the 17th century, we frequently find worth in the sense of value in use and value in the sense of exchange value. This is quite in accordance with the spirit of a language that likes to use a Teutonic word for the actual thing and a Romance word for its reflection. End footnote. But this utility is not a thing of air. Being limited by the physical properties of the commodity, it has no existence apart from that commodity. A commodity such as iron, corn or a diamond is therefore, so far as it is a material thing, a use value, something useful. 
This property of a commodity is independent of the amount of labour required to appropriate its useful qualities. When treating of use value, we always assume to be dealing with definite quantities, such as dozens of watches, yards of linen, or tons of iron. The use values of commodities furnish the material for a special study, that of the commercial knowledge of commodities. Footnote. In bourgeois societies, the economic fictio juris prevails that everyone, as a buyer, possesses an encyclopedic knowledge of commodities. End footnote. Use values become a reality only by use or consumption. They also constitute the substance of all wealth, whatever may be the social form of that wealth. In the form of society we are about to consider, they are, in addition, the material depositories of exchange value. Exchange value at first sight presents itself as a quantitative relation, as the proportion in which values in use of one sort are exchanged for those of another sort. Footnote. Quote, la valeur consiste dans le rapport d'échange qui se trouve entre telle chose et telle autre, entre telle mesure d'une production et telle mesure d'une autre. End quote. Value consists in the exchange relation between one thing and another, between a given amount of one product and a given amount of another. Le Trosne, de l'intérêt social, physiocrate, Paris, 1846. End footnote. A relation constantly changing with time and place. Hence exchange value appears to be something accidental and purely relative, and consequently an intrinsic value, i.e. an exchange value that is inseparately connected with, inherent in, commodities, seems a contradiction in terms. Footnote. Quote, Nothing can have an intrinsic value. Nicholas Barbon, or, as Butler says, Quote, the value of a thing is just as much as it will bring. End quote. Let us consider the matter a little more closely. A given commodity, for example, a quarter of wheat, is exchanged for X blacking, Y silk, or Z gold, etc. In short, for other commodities in the most different proportions. Instead of one exchange value, the wheat has, therefore, a great many. But since X blacking, Y silk or Z gold, etc., each represents the exchange value of one quarter of wheat. X blacking, Y silk, Z gold, etc., must, as exchange values, be replaceable by each other or equal to each other. Therefore, first, the valid exchange values of a given commodity express something equal. Secondly, exchange value, generally, is only the mode of expression, the phenomenal form of something contained in it, yet distinguishable from it. Let us take two commodities, for example, corn and iron. The proportions in which they are exchangeable, whatever those proportions may be, can always be represented by an equation in which a given quantity of corn is equated to some quantity of iron, for example, one quarter corn equals x hundredweight of iron. What does this equation tell us? It tells us that in two different things, in one quarter of corn and in x hundredweight of iron, there exists in equal quantities something common to both. The two things must therefore be equal to a third, which in itself is neither the one nor the other. Each of them, so far as it is exchange value, must therefore be reducible to this third. 
A simple geometrical illustration will make this clear. In order to calculate and compare the areas of rectilinear figures, we decompose them into triangles. But the area of the triangle itself is expressed by something totally different from its visible figure, namely, by half the product of the base multiplied by the altitude. In the same way, the exchange values of commodities must be capable of being expressed in terms of something common to them all, of which thing they represent a greater or less quantity. This common something cannot be either a geometrical, a chemical, or any other natural property of commodities. Such properties claim our attention only in so far as they affect the utility of those commodities, make them use values. But the exchange of commodities is evidently an act characterized by a total abstraction from use value. Then one use value is just as good as another, provided only it be present in sufficient quantity, or, as old Barbon says, quote, one sort of wares are as good as another, if the values be equal. There is no difference or distinction in things of equal value. An hundred pounds worth of lead or iron is of as great value as one hundred pounds worth of silver or gold. End quote. As use values, commodities are, above all, of different qualities, but as exchange values, they are merely different quantities, and consequently do not contain an atom of use value. If we then leave out of consideration the use value of commodities, they have only one common property left, that of being products of labour. But even the product of labour itself has undergone a change in our hands. If we make abstraction from its use value, we make abstraction at the same time from the material elements and shapes that make the product a use value. We see in it no longer a table, a house, yarn, or any other useful thing. Its existence as a material thing is put out of sight. Neither can it any longer be regarded as the product of the labour of the joiner, the mason, the spinner, or of any other definite kind of productive labour. Along with the useful qualities of the products themselves, we put out of sight both the useful character of the various kinds of labour embodied in them, and the concrete forms of that labour. There is nothing left but what is common to them all. All are reduced to one and the same sort of labour, human labour, in the abstract. Let us now consider the residue of each of these products. It consists of the same unsubstantial reality in each, a mere congelation of homogeneous human labour, of labour power expended without regard to the mode of its expenditure. All that these things now tell us is that human labour power has been expended in their production, that human labour is embodied in them. When looked at as crystals of this social substance, common to them all, they are values. We have seen that when commodities are exchanged, their exchange value manifests itself as something totally independent of their use value. But if we abstract from their use value, there remains their value as defined above. Therefore, the common substance that manifests itself in the exchange value of commodities, whenever they are exchanged, is their value. The progress of our investigation will show that exchange value is the only form in which the value of commodities can manifest itself or be expressed. For the present, however, we have to consider the nature of value independently of this, its form. A use value, or useful article, therefore has value only because human labour, in the abstract, 
has been embodied or materialized in it. How, then, is the magnitude of this value to be measured? Plainly, by the quantity of the value-creating substance, the labor, contained in the article. The quantity of labor, however, is measured by its duration, and labor-time, and labor-time, in turn, finds its standard in weeks, days, and hours. Some people might think that if the value of a commodity is determined by the quantity of labour spent on it, the more idle and unskilful the labourer, the more valuable would his commodity be, because more time would be required in its production. The labour, however, that forms the substance of value is homogeneous human labour, expenditure of one uniform labour power. The total labour power of society, which is embodied in the sum total of the values of all commodities produced by that society, counts here as one homogeneous mass of human labour power, composed though it be of innumerable individual units. Each of these units is the same as any other, so far as it has the character of the average labour power of society, and takes effect as such, that is, so far as it requires for producing a commodity no more time than is needed on an average, no more than is socially necessary. The labour time socially necessary is that required to produce an article under the normal conditions of production, and with the average degree of skill and intensity prevalent at the time. The introduction of power looms into England probably reduced by one half the labour required to weave a given quantity of yarn into cloth. The hand-loom weavers, as a matter of fact, continued to require the same time as before, but for all that, the product of one hour of their labour represented, after the change, only half an hour's social labour, and consequently fell to one half of its former value. We see, then, that that which determines the magnitude of the value of any article is the amount of labour socially necessary, or the labour-time socially necessary, for its production. Footnote. Quote, the value of them, the necessities of life, when they are exchanged the one for another, is regulated by the quantity of labour necessarily required and commonly taken in producing them. End quote. Some thoughts on the interest of money in general, and particularly in the public funds, etc. This remarkable anonymous work, written in the last century, bears no date. It is clear, however, from internal evidence, that it appeared in the reign of George the Second, about 1739 or 1740. End footnote. Each individual commodity, in this connection, is to be considered as an average sample of its class. Footnote. Quote, Toutes les productions d'un même genre ne forment proprement qu'une masse, dont le prix se détermine en général et sans égard aux circonstances particulières. End quote. Properly speaking, all products of the same kind form a single mass, and their price is determined in general and without regard to particular circumstances. Le Trosne. End footnote. Commodities, therefore, in which equal quantities of labour are embodied, or which can be produced in the same time, have the same value. The value of one commodity is to the value of any other, as the labour time necessary for the production of the one is to that necessary for the production of the other. Quote, As values, all commodities are only definite masses of congealed labour time. End quote. Footnote. Karl Marx, Zur Kritik der Politischen Ökonomie. End footnote. 
The value of a commodity would therefore remain constant if the labour time required for its production also remained constant. But the latter changes with every variation in the productiveness of labour. This productiveness is determined by various circumstances, amongst others, by the average amount of skill of the workman, the state of science and the degree of its practical application, the social organisation of production, the extent and capabilities of the means of production, and by physical conditions. For example, the same amount of labour, in favourable seasons, is embodied in eight bushels of corn, and in unfavourable, only in four. The same labour extracts from rich mines more metal than from poor mines. Diamonds are of very rare occurrence in the earth's surface, and hence their discovery costs, on average, a great deal of labour time. Consequently, much labour is represented in a small compass. Jacob doubts whether gold has ever been paid for at its full value. This applies still more to diamonds. According to Eschweger, the total production of the Brazilian diamond mines for the 80 years ending 1823 had not realised the price of one and a half years average produce of the sugar and coffee plantations of the same country, although the diamonds cost much more labour and therefore represented more value. With richer mines the same quantity of labour would embody itself in more diamonds and their value would fall. If we could succeed at a small expenditure of labour in converting carbon into diamonds, their value might fall below that of bricks. In general, the greater the productiveness of labour, the less is the labour time required for the production of an article, the less is the amount of labour crystallised in that article, and the less is its value, and vice versa, the less the productiveness of labour, the greater is the labour time required for the production of an article, and the greater is its value. The value of a commodity, therefore, varies directly as the quantity, and inversely as the productiveness, of the labour incorporated in it. A thing can be a use-value without having value. This is the case whenever its utility to man is not due to labour. Such are air, virgin soil, natural meadows, etc. A thing can be useful, and the product of human labour, without being a commodity. Whoever directly satisfies his wants with the produce of his own labour creates indeed use-values, but not commodities. In order to produce the latter, he must not only produce use-values, but use-values for others, social use-values, parentheses, and not only for others, without more. The medieval peasant produced quit-rent corn for his feudal lord, and tithe-corn for his parson. But neither the quit-rent corn nor the tithe-corn became commodities by reason of the fact that they had been produced for others. To become a commodity, a product must be transferred to another, whom it will serve as a use-value, by means of an exchange. End parentheses. Footnote. I am inserting the parenthesis because its omission has often given rise to the misunderstanding that every product that is consumed by someone other than its producer is considered in Marx a commodity. Engels, 4th German edition. End footnote. Lastly, nothing can have value without being an object of utility. If the thing is useless, so is the labour contained in it. The labour does not count as labour, and therefore creates no value. End of chapter 1, section 1